you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Around the NFL podcast. Are afraid of killer dogs. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Little playoff Tuesday show. Hey. How about that? I feel like I needed that Monday to, you know, we had w- some work to do. Res- we all did respectively, but uh needed it to recover a little bit. That was six, six versus four games, like that was, it was like underrated how much different that experience was. That was intense. And I mean, we know the NFL, um, that nothing's going to ever contract. It's only going to expand. So that's our life for the wild card, super wild card weekend for the rest of time. But more than ever, I think that my actual naming of bloated wild card weekend <laughs> Um, there is an argument to be made that it was just a tad bloated it's a while lot. also being If you're working it. Yeah, if you're working it, it's a lot. It, like like we said, we were never consulted on this as creatives, but uh, things can always change. You know, uh, you, we talk about the Super Bowl. That was initially the AFL-NFL championship game uh, for the first two years until Jets-Colts in 69. So uh, maybe we still have a window to get in on bloated mm. wild card weekend. I don't know if that's going to fly. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's feels the message like, they're hoping I'm just going to say, send, I, you know? it feels like it might have a, a, a critical connotation. I don't think it felt bloated. There were just moments where I was like, just like a human being, it's like, hmm, I'm feeling a little bloated at the moment. Um, I won't four hours from now when games are still raging on, but there were twists and turns that felt a little bloaty. Wild you know card marathon. How about it's, that? That's it's, it's maybe not the, the league's fault. It's, it's the Bears' fault. If if the Chicago Bears, that game wasn't plop in the middle of the Sunday schedule, uh, things probably would have felt different. But anyway, we say this now, but come this uh, summer in July or so, when we're cranking through shows, trying to come up with ideas of things to talk about, uh, we're going to laugh at, you know, talking about playoff football not being up to snuff. I mean, we're going to be looking forward to the preseason, for cripe's sake. All right. Good perspective. Tuesday. That's what I, that's what I'm here for, Mark. Tuesday. Mark's still floating, floating on air. You could tell. You could see it. That it's it's coming through. Uh, the Browns are one of the final eight teams, and we're going to get into all of the playoff matchups in the divisional round. The best football weekend of the year on Thursday show. Uh, today we're going to have a more traditional news. Show We haven't had one of those in a while. We're going to get through a lot of news, what's going on in the league, uh, what's going on with the openings uh, GM. Uh, we have another coach change. We're up to seven now. And then there's a lot of stuff going on down in Texas and Houston with the Texans, as we know. We're tracking this uh, with some of the decision-making that organization is making and uh, Deshaun Watson being unhappy. We had to get Seth Payne back on the horn 
who does great coverage and he works down there and he's been on our show before to just give us uh, a look into what's going on with the Houston Texans in a really important offseason for them. Uh, all right. But first, as I said, we have a lot of news to hit, so let's go. You know, bad loss, but um, Browns are going to get clapped next week, so it's all good. Steelers still talking. Chase Claypool uh, saying that the Browns are going to get clapped by the Chiefs this weekend. Mark, your thoughts? I mean, I think there are maybe three or four people on the planet that when they speak about the Browns, I listen or care what they have to say. Uh, Chase Claypool is not one of those three or four people. I think most people have been wrong about the Browns all season. Chase Claypool is uh, saying that after they were beaten by Cleveland two times in a row. I think there might be better things for him to wax on about at this point. (laughs) And uh, on the subject of the Cleveland Browns, Ricky. His name is Keith. He's Dan's dad. No doubt about it, he's a big Browns fan. What is he going to say about the game today? What is he going to say about the game today? Congratulations, Mark, on the Cleveland Browns not only making the playoffs, but destroying the Pittsburgh Steelers and Big Ben last night. Uh, I myself have never been a big fan of uh, the Steelers, and I know they've been your arch rival for many, many years and have been trashing the Browns. So uh, I know it has to be particularly satisfying for you. Uh, So you're an inspiration. For Jet fans, good luck against Kansas City. Go Browns. <laughs> there you wow. go. How about that message that from is my old one, man? That is one of the three or four people I would listen to. <laughs> uh, because the first time I ever met your dad at the Super Bowl, this is someone who's been tracking football for decades. He knows the game very well. And I, my hope is that the same will happen for him and Jets fans too. Because Dan's dad is someone who deserves a little bit of sunshine at this point. And he does it every year. He sent a text to me and my brother this morning on this date, 52 years since Joe Namath rose the finger as he jogged off the field at the Orange Bowl after the Jets upset the Colts 16-7 to in the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl III. Uh, so, man, to not get Classy back man. to that game Classy. since then. It is it cool is how much um, the Browns win. Like, It's awesome to see how happy everyone is. Like, I think... People really identify, like, people were more into that game because of you, Mark. My friend Dave, who listens to the show sometimes, said he was, like, so fired up, like, after listening to the beginning. My dad was texting me during the game, fired up for you. Like, you are you are Mr. Brown. How come your dad didn't send in a message then, Greg? If he, if he you know, was it I don't think it? they've ever spoken. Um, <laughs> I mean, so I don't I could give him the number. Maybe. It's true, though. Like, the Browns represent hope uh, to the hopeless. Uh, so if they could do it, if they could rebuild their organization and, and win in that type of way, um, who can't? All right, let's get into it. Uh, starting, yes, with the latest head coaching announcement. This one was percolating a little bit. Uh, initially, Doug Peterson was safe after week 17. And then last week, there was a meeting with Jeff Lurie, the team owner that we were told in a report on Monday didn't go so well, or on Sunday. And then on Monday, the report, or it is announced that... The Eagles have parted ways with Doug Peterson, the coach that uh, brought the franchise its only Super Bowl uh, just, what, three years ago. So now he is out uh, ending a partnership, and uh, we see what happens next with both teams. Laurie had a video press conference uh, to discuss this seismic move within the organization. Here's what he had to say. My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Um, it's not based on does someone deserve to hold their job or deserve to get fired. That's a different um, bar. It's not about um, did Doug deserve to be let go? No, he did not deserve to be let go. That's not where I'm coming from, and that's not the bar uh, in the evaluation process. A lot of Eagles players came out in defense of Doug Peterson, wishing him well. Uh, Greg, was this the right decision? I think it was. I think they needed to make a change. And either it was either going to be Peterson or Peterson and Howie Roseman. So, I, you know, I think 
you, it wasn't working. You could hear the whispers in the telecast that the front office and the head coach weren't getting along. You could, you know, see from Ian's you know tweet on Monday. You know, Peterson was tired of being told what to do, and there has been more reporting that basically the you know ownership didn't like the idea of Peterson elevating Press Taylor to be his offensive coordinator. They had other ideas. And it's like, like I get it from Peterson's perspective. If he's the head coach and he can't choose his offensive coordinator, then he shouldn't be the head coach. And they, they probably knew he was going to take that stance. And it's time to make a change. It's unfair because he's the first head coach to get fired within three years of winning a Super Bowl since 72. Don McCafferty, who won Super Bowl five, And it's not like the Eagles have struggled the last three years. Like, they almost made the conference championship Two years ago, and they made the playoffs last year, despite a or in 2019, despite a ton of injuries. But I also think it's like better to get out um, a year early than go on when it wasn't working between them two. And Howie Roseman ha- has earned some rope, I think, that he can build up a successful team. He's done it a few times. I mean, Howie Roseman will be on to his fourth head coach. Um, you know, he hasn't been in the same position the entire but he's cho- time. He's chosen well when he's had the. The, you know what I mean? He has, and I think that uh, a little bit of this might have to do, and if you listen to what Laurie was saying, and he's, I think Jeffrey Laurie is one of the more um, straight talk. He's a, he's a straight talker, I think, to some degree about what what he feels, and I think there was, he talked about collective vision, that Jeffrey Laurie and the and ownership were not on the same page with probably what needs to happen. Like, the, the, the team's best players are over 30, the only Pro Bowl player they've they've drafted since 2016 is Carson Wentz. Um, this is a team Oof. that needs to take, you know, a, a deep look at it, how it's built. Um, it's in salary cap hell heading into the offseason. And I think Laurie is sort of saying we might not – it's not a rebuild because owners don't say that, but uh, there's a lot that needs to happen here for the team to get back into – um, the mo- uh, the model of a team that be successful for years on end, and Peterson would go into the year on uh, you know on the hot seat I think already, right. and wanting to do everything to keep the Eagles just sort of in this current mode where I think that he'd be in a tough position. Um, he's not seeing eye to eye like you said, Greg, with the front office, and the owner I think showed a little bit of self. Um, Awareness and, and, and a realization about what the, where the team is right now. And, and there's probably a little bit of the Carson Wentz stuff going on, too, where the Peterson and Carson Wentz, that relationship felt um, ultra-fractured at this point. I feel like Peterson was scapegoated here. And ownership obviously sided with Howie Roseman and said that, you know, Roseman's not the problem, even though you just mentioned that, like how many Pro Bowlers have been drafted into this organization. Uh, he's still, Roseman, getting the benefit of the doubt, whereas Doug... Uh, he entered this year in a place of supreme job security, uh, but, and this is how it works in the NFL, the quarterback went in the tank. Uh, somebody's fault. The quarterback wasn't seeing eye to eye with Doug anymore. Uh, that's somebody's fault. Uh, it's Doug Peterson's fault. Get him out of here and that will fix things. I just don't know if that this is going to make the Eagles better. And then, you know, I've been, I yes, I would be too. And I actually, I might be relieved if I'm Doug Peterson because there might be some dysfunction behind the scenes with this organization. And I just wonder if the Eagles, when they when the smoke clears here and they hire whoever they hire, is it going to be a better solution than what Doug Peterson was? And will that guy be inheriting a team that's kind of in a sneaky bad place right now? Well, what would you? I they they are in a bad place. I think with the roster and, and the cap and everything. And the fact that Wentz is, if they were to trade Wentz would be very difficult to trade because of that contract. I guess my answer to you, Dan would be like, what else would you do? I, I think you, you could cut, you could, I, you know, not to answer my own question, but like, I think you could get rid of Howie and Doug, but it wouldn't make sense. To, it's not like you're going to get rid of Howie, keep Doug and then ha- have a new front office like, you can get rid of Carson Wentz, and maybe they still do that. But I guess I, they had to do something. I don't know what it was. I feel like trading Carson Wentz and moving Keeping forward Doug. with Jalen yeah. Hurts was was the move. Uh, but yeah. maybe maybe they'll end up doing multiple moves here as they try to change where they're going. Um, while we're on the subject, uh, let's, let's start spinning the carousel, the coaching carousel. Hell, the GM carousel. Because where are we at right now? We are seven openings. At head coach, it's very creepy. Uh, seven GM openings. Uh, so I'm just going to spin through the latest. What's going on? 
We'll start since we just mentioned the Eagles. The Eagles requested to interview Bucks defensive coordinator Todd Bowles for the team's head coaching vacancy. Um, also, uh, they want to interview uh, Robert Sala, who's obviously high in demand, uh, and Arthur Smith. The, the Eagles, in addition to uh, the, the messiness of all this, they're playing from behind because every other team has already been working on this for a week, if not more. Uh, and speaking of uh, Robert Sala, he is, it was reported, he's flying in for a second interview or has a second interview scheduled mm. with the Jets, and it's reported that he's a finalist for that position. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, Jets fans would be over the moon if they got Sala. Also, keep in mind, of course, Doug Peterson, Joe Douglas, the ties there back in Philadelphia. Um, I would say, and who knows how this all turns out, uh, the Jets ending up with either Peterson or Sala at this point. That would be, uh, to me, the two favorites to get that job. Um, I personally would like Salah, but I wouldn't be totally against uh, Doug Peterson either there. I would love Salah for the Jets. Um, If your dad wants something that he could be excited about, that also, Robert Salah's best man at his wedding was Matt LaFleur. And he is super tight with the LaFleurs, which includes Mike LaFleur. And he's also, you know, attached to Mike McDaniel. These two coaches have been the secret sauce to San Francisco's offense, and they are the two names linked. One of them, it would probably be one of them, that would go with Sala to the Jets to run that offense. That would be a new day. I, I could not, I would mm-hmm. immediately feel a di- very differently about the New York Jets if they pulled that off. To get him in there for the second interview, don't let him leave. Don't let him out of the room, and right. that's when you have to trust ownership to get, to get that done. Sala is everything, Greg, that Gase is not and was not from whether you're talking about the optics to his reputation in the locker room to his demeanor to his ability to work with the media and be camera friendly it's a totally different setup there i i i totally agree and i think the number one question with all these guys is what staff are you going to build i think that's more important when you hire a defensive coach because to me offense is more important and so you better have a good answer there you better have someone you're excited about and in the names mark said i think you would be excited. I think that's perfect. And a second interview means you're ready to hire him. And they always say finalist. And sometimes the second interview is like, okay, it went okay. Let's interview one more guy. But you don't, it, it, how these things always go is you never bring the guy back a second time unless you're potentially ready to close that deal, like you guys mentioned. Especially Wally's. in 2021 during, <laughs> right. you know, they, trying to bring people in person. Ever, they they are serious. And I, I right. Jet, Dan, this would be huge for you. Right. So they, they want to finish it or, you know, it, they want to put pressure on him to say yes too, potentially, because he is a guy we don't know, you know. All these teams are interviewing the same guys. It's a little annoying, but it's like everyone's just, it's like Arthur Smith, Robert Sala. Like it's everyone's interviewing the same guys. So they're going to be competing. They should do like a huge, just a huge job fair. Why Why are we doing this in individual? Just get everyone in the same giant convention given the, center. Given the climate, uh, getting sure. everyone underneath a uh, gym auditorium roof may be a, a bit messy. But in other news, uh, coordinator news, Dan Quinn. The dismissed Atlanta Falcons coach who made his reputation as the D.C. of the Legion of Boom Seahawks defense. Well, he's back in a D.C. position with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, He was high in demand, and now he's paired with Mike McCarthy uh, to uh, try to coach up a defense, Greg, that was woeful in Dallas uh, under Mike Nolan in 2020. It's funny because I think there's personnel they didn't change it that much fits with the Dan Quinn defense which isn't that different than you know the Rod Marinelli type of defense um, that they had two years ago and this is where being the Cowboys does help I I think Quinn you know because they're going to pay their coordinators more oh Kellen Moore you want to go to Boise State how about we pay you more than than Zach Taylor's making as the head coach of the Bengals (laughs) Dan Quinn whatever you want to do like we'll put you on national TV and we'll pay you a ton of money to be our coordinator. Just just come on over. It seems like a great fit. I, I love it too, and I think he's, he's some of these guys that you know you go, you find out as head coach that that job entails so much more. And I know that the defenses in Atlanta um, were largely putrid, and and they didn't really develop players. That's a concern. But um, this is a high energy guy. I, you remember that Wes and I. Uh, fell for Dan Quinn pretty hard after talking to him at the Super Bowl. I do think the players really like Dan Quinn, um, especially in the coordinator role. So it's a it's a big step up from Mike Nolan for the Cowboys. 
It's funny, you guys uh, give me a hard time about Matt Rule, and, and you, you think that I get upset about him not going to the Jets. It was Dan Quinn that I was really upset about because it seemed like uh, when they were going through the process of replacing Rex Ryan. Oh, with Bowles. Uh, and they went with Bowles instead because Quinn was going through the Super Bowl and the Jets didn't want to wait. And it, and I was worried that Quinn was going to be a, a decade-plus studded head coach. It, I mean, he got to the Super Bowl. Um, soon after that, but now he's back perhaps where he is best at D.C. Speaking of D.C., Gus Bradley hired as the Raiders defensive coordinator, formerly replacing Paul Gunther, who got canned in December by John Gruden. Uh, Bradley has his work cut out for him. Um, Obviously, this is a bad Raiders defense that allowed 30 points a game last year. My favorite part of this, I, Mark uh, let us know that they sent the announcement the Raiders did on Twitter with a picture of Ken Wisenhunt. <laughs> and he, and <laughs> it's, it's like close it, enough. It, the problem is, you know, that there's um, like a 23 year old social media, uh, you know, <laughs> l- lever puller right there that made that mistake. And then we'll where's Wiz? Yeah, former Charger too. So he was a former Charger coach and coordinator. Uh, nice strong jawline on Wiz. We haven't seen him in in a while. Doesn't really look like Gus Bradley. Wait, no, Gus has got a nice jawline too. I, you're yeah, telling sure. me. You're but telling Ken's me a, if you Ken's put Gus bigger, Bradley and Ken Wisenhunt side by side. Right in front of you, you'd immediately be able to tell who was him. Stop. Of course. Yes. <laughs> one is bald. Yeah, one's bald. That helps. And Ken Wisen. I've seen them both in person. Ken Wisenhunt's an enormous. Oh, individual. that's right. Wisenhunt. Oh, I thought he uh, was bald as well. You're right. No, Wisenhunt's a, a good-looking guy. I mean, Gus Bradley, it's, 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 we're talking about two former Legion of Boom play callers who are getting, you know, they'll Wait. get work until the end of days. We got Nick Shook on this podcast. We have Chris Wessling on this podcast. You seem to hint there that because Ken Wisenhunt had hair, he was a good-looking guy. No, I'm no. not. That's not what I'm hinting. That's what that, you would like people to I think always, that I'm hinting. I always thought that, he, I feel like he, that's where you were going with that. I mean, Nick he, Shook is a good-looking man. So is Wes. When he like coached the Cardinals to the Super Bowl, I remember covering that Super Bowl and thinking like, this guy seems like a military general. That's Ken Wisenhut, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, he, he commands it. And uh, we mentioned Bradley and Quinn both uh, off the Seattle coaching tree. Uh, the Seahawks they make a move while the teams ha- a quarter of the league nearly is looking to fill their GM post. They make sure John Schneider doesn't get away. He signs a five-year extension through 2027. Uh, this comes uh, after the Lions sought permission uh, to interview Schneider. So the Seahawks say, no, 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 no. You stay right here. Let's fly. Get that Microsoft money. What a great – What a, that's a great organization to, to, to work for. I mean, Pete Carroll's like building – like separate vacation homes that are like somehow attached to the the facility like he lives on the lake and it's just like oh you just send this little report out and the you know I know Paul Allen the Microsoft guy passed but they still got that Microsoft money I think it's just like oh no you, you're not going to go to Detroit he, here is here is like a truckload of cash that, that was never going <clears> to <throat> that was never going to happen but also I'd say Pete Carroll he already had that USC money I mean he's he's had money right. Going on for a long, long time. He it has- just seems like there is no ownership there quite right now. Um, it's just sort of like the like Carroll, I think, has more power than maybe any coach in the NFL, including Bill Belichick. He, he's as close to an owner as like a coach gets. I'm sure he didn't want Schneider to go either. And speaking of Bill Belichick, finally in the news, uh, Bill Belichick announced that he declines uh, to accept the medal of freedom uh, that was offered by the White House and Donald Trump uh, in a statement he said that uh, recently I was offered the opportunity to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom which I was flattered by out of respect for what the honor represents and admiration for prior recipients subsequently the tra- which is like however The tragic events of last week occurred and the decision has been made not to move forward with the award. Uh, Bill got, you know, love um, uh, in a lot of angles of social media uh, there. And I get it. Uh, His decision comes at a time when Trump faces near universal condemnation for his role in last week's assault on the Capitol and and uh, Trump is facing his second impeachment in the past year as we record this. Uh, so Bill's getting praised for saying thanks, but no thanks, Donald. Uh, 
But even Bill, a man who walks to the beat of his own drum, would understand the optics of heading over to the Rose Garden this week uh, to get a trophy from Donald Trump. Can we please calm down with saying this was some type of brave move by Bill Belichick? It's the no-brainer of the century. Well, especially when he's talking about those weekly social justice meetings that he had with his team, which which he mentioned actually at the the year end press conference, as he, you know, like he would lose his he would lose his players. Apparently, though, like a couple golfers he might showed, lose his job. Right? It's like what's the one well? Thing I, I don't get? know. I'm, I'm not, not sure about that. One. I'm not so sure about that one. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, right now in this climate, the, I, I get he's it. He's doing but, a, a grip and grab with Donald. I don't know. Right? I get it, but a, a couple. Um, well, first of all, you know, we don't need to get too deep into it, but this, you know, the NFL oh, had pl- deep, pl- plenty of support for, for, and Belichick was, you know, tied, tied to Trump, certainly. But a couple golfers did take the, the award, apparently, the day after they, like, they showed up and everything. And man, people were, that's people golf, were, man. Yeah. People were just like, people were just like, come on. You know what it reminded me of, Dan, though, is when, when it was announced that Trump was going to pitch the opening day uh, game at the Yankees, because this right. news that Belichick was even getting this came out like Saturday night out of nowhere, and immediately everyone was fired up. And I, and even at the time, I was like, "Oh, I don't. I wonder if Belichick has like said yes, yes to this because I think they're just like <laughs> trying to put him in a tough spot and trying to like get some good PR." Right. I'm I'm struggling why a golf why golfers are receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom to begin with. A bit. What have they What have they? Have done? you ever played golf? It is very difficult. It, I, I attempted it once, and I agreed that it's. I don't know what that has to do with the, you know the core tenets of freedom. I mean, but. it's a fa- it's a total totally fair question mark. I have no idea. And in <laughs> fact, like I'm a hail mary by the White that. House. So, Roger Staubach got it once, they which is Belichick's them. boyhood hero, and that apparently had some meaning to him. But um, he's going to have to see now. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I got screwed. All right, that's what's happening in the news. Let's now welcome in one of our favorite friends. Of the show, he is. Listen, you can say it. I say it. He's he's royalty down there in Texas. He's co-host of the morning show on Sports Radio six ten. Played ten years in the National Football League for the Texans and the Jaguars. Uh, went to Cornell. Ever heard of that? He is the great Seth Payne. Welcome back to the Around the NFL podcast. Thanks, uh, thanks for bringing me in after the uh, the presidential talk. Uh, but then also the, the I, I only caught a little bit of the handsome coach rankings, and I, I got to tell you, that's kind of my wheelhouse. I know that you guys oh. brought me on for something else, but uh, Kevin Kevin Stefanski, a, a man who is very very strict about mask wearing. Uh, I, I realized a couple days ago that I didn't even really remember what he looked like, and I looked him back up. My God, ruggedly handsome. So you and Seth are on the same page there. We've heard about that endlessly for months. I mean, Mark sends our, like, random texts at, like, 3 in the morning about how, how handsome <laughs> Stefanski is. It's, well, it's you, know, you, go, you go from Freddie Kitchens to Kevin Stefanski. Imagine if that was, you know, in another world, someone you went to from a dating angle. If you were a nice young woman and you started, you go from Kevin from Kitchens to Stefanski. I mean, I, we've, we've wondered if he's potentially um, a synthetic human and not real. Yeah, uh, I just wonder, wondered I, that. I also got a, you know, because he was in the news a lot last week, obviously, for the COVID and being in the basement. And as someone who lots of, watches a lot of Dateline on NBC, he looks like the guy that's been in every Dateline when the wife goes missing and there's some life insurance that hasn't been paid out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah, that's the bad boy appeal. <laughs> All right. Steph, enough of that funny business. Uh, we, we need you to help us out with what's going on. Uh, with the Texans, the Nick Casario hired Deshaun Watson unhappy. Uh, this this feels like catnip if you're doing radio down there. What, what's your over general, general vibe of what's going on with Houston? Is it a total mess? Oh, oh, it's a it's a disaster. And I know I know <laughs> the smile on my face would tell you a different story, but I know you guys have been recording. And listen, I, I I'm so happy. For Mark, because uh, you've been simpatico with me the whole time on this whole Jack Easterby scenario, and uh, and so Jack Easterby was the, uh, the vice president of football operations. He's been kind of uh, a, uh, he's he's been an intriguing figure since he's been here, and a lot of people would point to him as a reason for a lot of the uh, divisiveness within the organization right now. So you guys have been on air uh, or recording this podcast. Andre Johnson just tweeted out. If I'm Deshaun Watson, I will stand my ground. The Texans organization is known for wasting players' careers. Since Jack Easterby has walked into the building, nothing good has happened 
in oh. or for the organization. And for some reason, someone can't seem to see what's going on. Pathetic! Exclamation Ooh. point. Wow. <laughs> So, uh, there's, yeah, there, look, Deshaun Watson is very, very unhappy. And I think the important thing to keep in mind here is that Deshaun Watson is not a malcontent. Deshaun Watson's not the guy that complains about stuff. If anything, he was criticized at times this year for being too positive and being too happy as all of, uh, as, as they were having such a two, uh, such a hard season. So at the end of the year, he says very simply on Monday after the Titans lost, we need a culture shift, that we need better leadership. Um, there are people that think they have the power and that they don't. I'm paraphrasing on the second part there. Wow. And, and a lot of people pointed to Jack Easterby. Um, and at least, at the very least, when you talk about culture, this was a culture created by Bill O'Brien, who came from the Patriots, Jack Easterby, who came from the Patriots and was supposed to be the cultural maven, you know, was supposed to bring in uh, all this positive energy and whatnot. And Deshaun wanted something different when all of a sudden Cal McNair hires Nick Casario, who's very well qualified by every measure, but he's from New England. I think that Deshaun Watson, who had been promised to have some kind of input and that he would be listened to, he was caught off guard, as were a lot of other people in the Texans organization. And it really felt like there was like skullduggery at work here that somehow they had departed from the process where they were going to use a search firm and use one of those candidates. And there's a whole lot more that goes into it. But yeah, it's a, it's a mess in Houston right now. I mean, once, so, you know, Eric Bianami's name just came up before we started recording this as a candidate that they can talk to when the Chiefs at some point are eliminated. So Monday. Um, and if, that, if, <laughs> if you are, Deshaun Watson, does that would that settle him down? Because that was someone he particularly named himself. I have a second little question. Have you ever do you look out the window and see at any point sort of like a suspicious black sedan parked out there? You've been so vocal on Jack Easterby. I have to believe that um, Easterby, a mysterious figure, might be having you tailed. I just would be concerned <laughs> for your safety in, in, in the middle of all this. That, you know, the second part is something that came up in a Sports Illustrated article during the season. It was a big expose about Jack Easterby. And this guy who was supposed to be incredible at creating the perfect organization, whereas there were a couple of players quoted in there that thought that 85 to 90% of the people in the building don't trust Jack Easterby. Um, and then one of the accusations a couple of players made was that they felt like they were being tailed at some point. Personally, I think I'm safe, Mark, because frankly, I am one of a cacophony of voices singing out, <laughs> raising our voices against Jack Easterby. I mean, uh, Andre Johnson now joins the mix. Uh, I have talked to a bunch of people since that Sports Illustrated article came out, and there's no reason to disbelieve any of the sources in that article, um, all of it kind of fits. And I think that when it comes to Biennemi, yes, Deshaun Watson admires Eric Biennemi, but I think he would be really intrigued by hiring Eric Biennemi, but I don't, I never got the sense that Deshaun Watson wants to handpick the coach, but I thought, I think that the owner told him that he would have input, that he would be listened to. And I don't think he necessarily feels like he's been listened to. And and especially because, you know, I don't know how explicit Deshaun would have been in explaining what's wrong with the culture, but it sure feels a whole lot like that when you tell when you're telling people and you're trying to say, hey, there's a problem with the culture here, and you just bring in the best bud of the the guy that perhaps some people like Andre Johnson think is actually destroying the culture there, he got peeved. And a lot of other people, you know, the Jamie Roots, the team president. Uh, is not on stable ground right now. A lot of people in the organization thought that the Texans were running an actual search, and, and it didn't look like they were. As far as Eric Bieniemy goes, look, Nick Casario, and, and, and this is where things get a little nuanced. I like I like the hiring of Nick Casario as long as they're not trying to import the the Patriots' way because it doesn't work outside of Foxborough. Um, but he just started working a couple days ago. I think it's now a matter of Nick Casario getting on the same page with Deshaun Watson, working with him, trying to settle this thing down. It's January 12th. We've got time, you know, before any kind of trade would need to be executed. Do you think it will, though? Like, how, you know, when you see, you know, Chris Mortensen reporting that Watson, um, sees Miami as a destination that he would be interested in, that was the first time that I thought, 
okay, maybe this has legs. Because it's going to be all up to Watson, how how serious he would be on wanting to force a trade. If they can calm him down um, and the emotions of the season ending kind of wear away, like, it would be insane to trade Deshaun Watson. Like, I don't think any – it's not like Nick Desario, I think, would come in and want to do that. It would be insane. Like, it would make – first of all, you'd have dead money on your cap to be getting rid of w- one of the best five, you know, quarterbacks in the NFL, like Henry is prime. Literally, that's n- – there's never been a precedent for a trade like that, not for a quarterback that young uh, and that good. So, it would be insane. But do you think, like – how, like, much legs do you think it would have – for Watson to like stay angry, I guess. Uh, that's, that's the question. Okay. Is this going to be entrenched? Is it going to take, is he going to feel this way two, three, four months? I think it depends on a couple things. One, I don't know how much Jack Easterby weighs into Deshaun Watson's personal opinion about this. I know that Andre Johnson and other very just reputable guys that don't whine about much um, have strong feelings about Jack Easterby. It, it might be as simple as the elimination of Jack Easterby. I don't know. But it's not um, going to happen. I mean, that, there's no chance that's going to happen. He just picked – he literally just picked the head coach after – here's the thing about the Easterby stuff. I know we've hit it a lot on this show, but basically everything that we were sort of bringing up as a supposed conspiracy theory came exactly true. As recently as yeah. last weekend, every single reporter, including some on our network who have expressed regret about it, was buying the whole idea that Easterby uh-huh. might not be on solid footing. He might not have any role in the organization and that he's not even involved with the hiring. So <laughs> then a day later, they, they hired the guy that they were hanging out at the Patriots Super Bowl ring party and that they got accused of tampering with. That's his best friend. So like no one knew anything. It's clearly Easterby and McNair, you know, has McNair. Yes. That, you know, yes. yes. You see me waving my head in my hands and shaking my head emphatically. Look, guys, I smelled this a mile away when Jack Easterby was here within a few months. As soon as Brian Gain was gone, as soon as Jack Easterby got here, Brian Gain, an actual general manager, got Pearl, fired. Pearl River native, by the way. Pearl River native. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, as uh, is it Rockland County? As yeah, look at that. Uh, so as they're in pursuit, hot pursuit of Nick Casario, I predicted at that time, you know, a year and a half ago, you know what? Jack Easterby will be standing after Bill O'Brien is gone. It's that kind of a scenario. And people thought I was crazy, excuse me, being a conspiracy theorist. But this is what he does. He he sidles up to very important people and gets them to believe things that just simply are not true. Um, and he creates this distorted version of reality. Uh, as, as far as the Miami thing goes, Greg, to get back to that, um, I think that it's important to note that Deshaun has not requested a trade. Deshaun, including you know the people close to Deshaun, nobody has credibly said that Deshaun wants a trade. I think that he said he'd be amenable to a trade in Miami. Like, that would be an okay destination. But um, it, it's not at that point yet. You could see, not to keep buddy, but you could see quickly after the, the Watson news came out, they interviewed the offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly, who he likes. That was like a, hey, Deshaun, look at this. And now, hey, we're interviewing Eric Bieniemy. Like, I think they're going to do everything possible to make it up. You know, comment in, in life, you've heard about it when couples are in danger. Uh, the relationships flaming out. Oh, let's, you know, do the Band-Aid baby. And it never works, and it's not good for anybody involved. A Band-Aid head coach seems similarly flawed and doomed for failure. Let me let me kind of, my last uh, thing to tee you up on here, Seth. I'm going to play devil's advocate, okay? Deshaun Watson, he's a Hall of Fame-level talent. But the Texans in the wreckage of the Bill O'Brien era are so poorly set up for the future right now. Well, who's to say that trading Deshaun Watson for a quarterback like a Tua or a Sam Darnold and let's say three first round picks, Greg, put your hand down. This is for Seth. This question (laughs) is not actually, although popular opinion wouldn't be with you on this and clearing up your cap and all the other stuff is not the best things for the Texans franchise that got as far as it could with the setup they had and now needs to reboot. I would say this, the Texans, came into existence in 2002. Well, their first season was 2002. They found Deshaun Watson in 2017, and you had to trade up to get him. And it was a spot in the draft where it's not necessarily a slam dunk. You feel great about it. Um, Nothing is worth 
something that might take another 17 years to replace. <laughs> it's just, I mean, how many, look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. How many times did they have to use draft capital on high picks and, and, and swing and whiff on it? So, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful dream is what it is, Dan, but you can't fall for beautiful <laughs> dreams like Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby did trade after trade, signing after <laughs> signing. If only, hey, remember how good these guys were in 2016? That's all we need is for David Johnson and Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks and everybody else. Ooh. You can't fall for that line of reasoning. Right. I mean, Watson's the most important person in the organization. I mean, he's, he is more important than the owner, at least to fans he should be, because, like, you can get other owners. I mean, you're not going to. But, it's like, Watson is, to me, irreplaceable. And people act like they're in such a crazy tough spot. No. I mean, you're missing a couple of draft picks. You got them next year. Like, you, you've got some good players. You've got one of the best left tackles. And I mean, you've got Deshaun Watson. It, I just – the thing that Texans fans are worried about, which I understand and they're going to stay worried, is the process to which to you, you got to this point. If the process is super flawed and the people running that process are, are flawed in how they got there, and I would put Easterby, you know, and ownership into that, then – that makes you feel like it's doomed. But here's the thing. I'd still keep up, keep, you know, Watson around for the next regime that takes over in three or four years. If this thing blows up, he'll only be 28 years old then, and you still have Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and, and as far as the actual situation goes, you make a great point, Greg, because, look, are there teams out there right now that would trade – the Texans don't have a first and a second round pick right now. Are there teams out there that would say, hey, we'll give you a first and a second round pick and we'll take on Deshaun Watson's contract. Uh, we'll take that in a heartbeat, you know, and I'd say right. half the teams in the league probably would. So the situation is not as dire simply because you have Deshaun Watson. All right, Seth, I hear an engine idling outside your front door right now. Head on a swivel, my friend. Keep up the good work uh, down there in Houston. And thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. My kidnapping will be live streamed. Thank you, guys. <laughs> there he goes. The great Seth Payne. Give him a follow on Twitter and check out all his stuff. He's great. Um, you know, that's that's a thing about all this that you feel for Texans fans because, man, I just went through it with Jamal Adams, who's a safety. Uh, when you be- become attached to a star player and he's like the face of your franchise and then you're just holding your breath every morning that the news isn't going to see this thing spiraling further out of control with your star and your your team. So it's a time of unease, uh, and uh, Seth has it nailed. So it'll be, I think, one of the top storylines to track this off. Oh, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to haunt our podcast um, every single episode. This I is a good that. one, though. No, it's, like, it's interesting. Like you know, Dak Prescott, Dak getting paid, that's going to haunt our that's, ass. That's ponderous. This one at least has some intrigue. I just feel for the Texans fans that aren't going to be enjoying the roller coaster. The, 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 this isn't a total parallel because the age of the two quarterbacks is so different, but you could kind of look at what Carson Palmer did um, when he just got utterly frustrated with the Bengals. He said, I've made enough money. Um I'm simply not going to play for them anymore and forced to trade. I mean, I, I agree with you, Greg, that Deshaun Watson, if he really wants out, he has more power than anyone else. But if you're Nick Casario, you think that you're 45 years old, you've took your first GM job, and your first headline move is to r- remove the team from Deshaun Watson, I think that they're going to do everything they can to prevent it. All right. Good stuff. Um and thank you again to Seth. All right. Before we go, I did put out a prompt there to the uh, the fine listeners of the Around the NFL podcast who, uh, as always, they brought the heat. And, you know, I gave them about an hour. I got hundreds of uh, replies for questions here. And by the way, the ATN subreddit, which is a fan run, run board, just passed 15,000 members. And Ricky Hollywood, who does incredible work over on the ATN podcast on Instagram. That's closing in on 20,000. We want to get over that hump. So get on there. Ricky's always putting up uh, good junk uh, for you to enjoy. Um, So thank you to the fans. Here's our thank you to you. Be involved with the show. Here we go. Greg Van Poppering asks, where will Doug Peterson land? Mark, this feels like to me, again, the unusual circumstances around a, a head coach who wins a Super Bowl three years ago for a franchise that had never won in 50 years before that and then gets canned in some type of power struggle, a guy that might land on his feet immediately in another head coach chair? Do you see it that way? There are seven gigs here or six gigs for him. I mean, they parted with Andy Reid. They parted with Chip Kelly. And both of those coaches got head coaching 
jobs right after. And, and I would argue that Doug Peterson, um, it, there are different types of teams out there. There are different types of ownership groups. And uh, there is a lot to like about Doug Peterson, I believe, if you're an NFL owner. Um, there's a little bit of a stink on him. But, Dan, you like there are people that think the way that you do, too, that he probably was a little scapegoated here. Um, I wouldn't put him at the top of the list, but I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if he got a job at all. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's got a chance, and if not, he'll be back in the mix next year. It's not. It may not be. Almost every coach always says they like it's not the worst thing to take a, a year in between a gap year. You know, you could work on fearless too. Um, when I told <laughs> when I told e- Eagles ownership to shove it or something, I don't know. I guess he could say fearless too for winning the Super Bowl with the Jets or the Chargers. Falcons. I yeah, mean, you don't want to burn knows? that title. You know, <laughs> fearless too. Colon increasingly fearless. I, I kind of like that. Um, Josh Perry, Big J Powski on Twitter asks, "How many fingers?" And answer this seriously, Mark. How many fingers would Mark sacrifice to guarantee the Browns win the Super Bowl this year? Would you give up a finger? I don't. There's a lot of this going on, and it. it Mike Rabel started this about cutting off a, a different body part of his. Um, I, I wouldn't sacrifice a body part for, for things like this, no. Okay, and for those that don't know, if you don't remember, Mike Vrabel said he would sacrifice his I mean, I definitely right, wouldn't on. do that. But but as our friend Will Brinson said, he'd do that, but he won't you know go for it on fourth and two at the 40. <laughs> That's fair. There are other ways That's to get fair, there. Mark. That's right. How about a pinky toe, Mark? Sure. Oh, I hate feet, and they're like, I, I don't, yeah, in a minute. You would hate you hate your feet enough to mutilate them. Now that's I mean, I, like who sees my feet? Nobody. So if I had to cut off a toe, or if someone's like, "Why are you missing your pinky toe?" and I was like, "Well, I did it and ensured the Browns want to." So I, it's, I'm wrong if I say I wouldn't remove a body part. Not I've, fingers, though. I've known you for a decade, Mark. I don't think I've ever seen your feet. I don't think I've ever seen your bare legs. I mean, you're you're a pants guy all the way. Um, I mean, I've, I think I've worn. I don't think we've gone like swimming or to the beach together or something. So that's now, part of the reason. We stayed in hotel rooms together and in the same hotel room? rooms what do you mean? and no. In I sleeping mean, in, bags, in so. my hotel room, I will. There will be bare legs. I, I must have seen them when when Mark and I went running um, by Anderson Cooper at you the did. Meeting. Anderson Cooper <laughs> saw them also. So a lot going on there. All right, uh, here we go. This from Angus Bell. Uh, what do the Seahawks need to do to fix their anemic offense? Is Schottenheimer the problem, Greg? Ooh. I think he's the easiest solution is to change out Schottenheimer. I did not like what I heard out of Pete Carroll that his takeaway from the end of the season was that they need to run the ball more and more effectively. They were pretty effective running it. Now, the problem is they weren't effective enough throwing it. But that, to me, is a coaching problem when you have players as talented as Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. Zachariah Lewis asks, should the Bears reboot minus Matt Nagy head coach and GM Ryan Pace? This isn't the same apples-to-apples comparison to what's going on with the Eagles, but me, I hesitate um, because the quarterback situation was so sloppy um, for Nagy. Pace, maybe do what you will with Pace, but uh, throwing out Nagy because Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles stink, uh, I don't know if I feel good about that. I'd reboot the whole thing uh, hardcore because, I mean, well, look, at let's just say definitely Pace. Pace, you charts a lot of their issues charge back to Pace decisions. Uh, Mike Cavanaugh asks, considering how historically bad the Jets are, at drafting, how many first-round picks would Dan give to get Deshaun Watson? That's a very good question. Uh, I mean, you got to be stay within reason here, but I would give up to three first-round picks to get a 26-year-old quarterback who's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Um, I think there's almost no offer that I would say, oh, no way in hell, uh, because, Greg, as you point out all the time, like, these first-round picks are such a crapshoot to start with. There's nothing crapshoot or crappy about Deshaun Watson. Yeah, you could try to finagle some other trade where to get one of those, you know, get an extra first-round pick. Like, you trade down from the two. I guess you'd probably have to include that number two overall pick. But, yeah, three or four, whatever whatever it takes. What Like, what is the number where it, it ceases to be something that you would do, Greg? Ten first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. Would you do that? I mean, that's just 
seems <laughs> no. weird. I think the bigger thing I wouldn't want to do is like trade a first, second, and third for like three straight years. I mean, that's the thing is like sec, you know, the right. second round clear picks, out your whole draft, right? Yeah. Are, are almost as almost as valuable. But yeah, and I don't think the Jets' draft history should matter here. Like, look, Joe D had a good uh, good thing, but at least I would give four at least. Okay, there you go. Uh, Follow-up question from Ryan. Worst case, in parentheses, realistic coaching hire for the Jets. That's Marvin Lewis, who came in for an interview. And all due respect to Marvin Lewis, the respect that Mark has never afforded uh, Lewis on this podcast. Well, Marvin Lewis is an idiot. A a co-type-like hire uh, for the fan base. So Marvin Lewis, I don't care how well he interviewed uh, Johnson family, do not do that. Uh, Jeff Yates asks, depending on who the coach is, which way do you think Detroit should lean in the Matt Stafford situation? Should they build around him or should they blow that situation up? Mark. Um, the problem with, with moving on from Matthew Stafford is that who's there? I mean, I don't think you start a new coach with, hey, we're going to remove our franchise quarterback. And by the way, it might take 25 years to find another. So I want to know what you're getting in return for Matthew Stafford. And it better be huge and pivotal. Um, I I think Matthew Stafford wouldn't be opposed to a fresh start, though. Uh, Milo asks, do you think Cliff Kingsbury, the Cardinals head coach, should be on the hot seat? Now, I write a hot butt column uh, every August uh, ahead of the start of the season. And he is going to be, for me, a little higher up on the list uh, what do you mm. think, Greg? I don't. I don't think so, because I I still look at a team that won eight games in the two years previous and was in a really low place, and they won eight games last year. So I don't think you should be on a hot seat going into this season. Now, if they win four or five games next year, it's like okay, then you then you're on it. But he's they've been on an upward trajectory. I'm glad they asked about Cliff though, because of all these gutless punts. That we've seen. I, I never got a chance to mention what I thought was the most gutless punt, punt uh, of the entire 2020 season when Cliff punted. And I know it was, it was fourth and 20, Cardinals fans. I know. But it was at midfield. And the season literally ended with the punt. There was like three minutes left and he had one timeout left. And he just decided instead of going for a fourth and 20 down 11, I'm just going to go to the off season. I've never seen a more gutless punt than that like I'll, try to get a holding call or something a defensive holding call like do something what is I'll going t- on i'll tell you what greg i got i'm pushing back on that because that's bad bad job by cliff and i think he deserves to be under some scrutiny right now but mike rabel punting on fourth and two at the buffalo 40 yard line or at uh the ravens uh, yeah ravens 40 yard line with derrick henry on your football team coming off a 2000 yard season with your season hanging in the balance, to me, it doesn't get any worse. Yep, Mike Tomlin, Tom, Tomlin, Mike Tomlin's in that category too. Come on, I mean, God, God dang, that was very bad too. The I don't know what's going on. Was worse because it was. I don't. Maybe he didn't know he only had one timeout, which would be equally bad. But like, it was literally just like, okay, let's let's all uh, let's go start packing up. I, I would hate to be a head coach right now, though, where everything you do, there are all these like whippersnappers on Twitter, all these like hyper nerds. Especially Greg. You, well, no, Especially but everyone Greg. is like, everyone knows better than the head hey, coach. Yeah, I'm a whippersnapper. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you, Greg. Uh, two more questions. This one from. Andrew Savory, does Earl Thomas ever suit up in the NFL again? And if not, does he make it to Canton? Uh, Greg, this one's interesting. Uh, Big expose on Earl came out this week. This guy is one of the great safeties uh, of this century, and he just seemed to have a personality shift uh, that in in addition to his declining play has taken him out of the league entirely at, what, age 31? It's crazy. I have that article instapapered. I want to read it still. Um, but it reminded me like, it. oh yeah, I forgot I forgot Earl Thomas wasn't on a team. What the what the heck? I mean, uh it's insane. He played well last year too. It's not like he was a dog last year. I think people in Seattle will say maybe the personality didn't change that much. He was kind of uh on his own planet the whole time, but you know, when you're, you know, one of the best players in the league, you just allow it. I think you Instapaper that uh, and catch up on it, Greg, because some of the yeah, well. things you learn about that tenure in Baltimore okay. tells you a lot okay. I need about to read it. Uh, why other teams, you know, you know, these coaches, these GMs, they all talk. I think he makes he the Hall not. of Fame, by the way. Sorry to, to yep. interrupt. I do think he makes it, yes. And finally, Mark Sessler, a question for you from Drew. 
Drew Smith. Uh, does Mark intend to carry his Blue Jays fandom into next season, or was it simply a one and done for those that did not follow over the summer? Mark had had a standoffish, almost combative relationship with Major League Baseball, uh, but during the pandemic got behind the Toronto Blue Jays franchise. Are you going to run it back uh, this spring? Uh, part of it was that they were in Buffalo for the year. Um, but I, I went in thinking this could be an adventure that's over in 10 days, 10 hours, if it was too boring. Um, my issue with baseball is that it's on every day. It's like four hours long. Um, so engage me. And I found them to be a quite um, – I think I picked the right – type of team to latch on to. Um, I'm really in favor of how short that regular season was so that, that I think the, you know, the acid test will be, am I ready for six months or seven or eight months, however long the season goes on for, um, of everyday um, mm. observation? That will be a heady test. But if I am rooting for any team and it's for them, uh, that so TBD. On the fence again, Sessler. They could be back in Buffalo. I thought Buffalo. those days were over. The Raptors are in Tampa, so the Canadians are, are smart enough not to let any of us in at this point. And hmm. they're like, they might be back in Buffalo if, if we're not in any better shape by April. Oh, man. I thought this stuff was all going to be taken care of by 2021. <laughs> How come that's not the case? Oh, well, that was faulty logic. Oh, suddenly it's New Year's Eve and the, the entire <laughs> world will be fine by morning. Um, Wouldn't that have been cool, though? That would be cool. Yeah. I guess may- maybe January 31st. When we hit to February 1st, everything is cool. No doubt. that That's how it's going to play out. All right. Uh, the schedule to come uh, in our podcast. Thursday, the preview pod, divisional round. We dive deep on all of those games. Uh, I already reached out to Nick Shook. I want to have him involved for the Browns preview. Um, and then Friday... Uh, you could check us out on television, the Around the NFL broadcast, the television show that is airing nice, cushy time slot there, uh, 3 p.m. Is that 3 p.m. Eastern? Well, I'll take it either way. Okay, just check out your I think it's 3 Pacific, um, 6, 6 Eastern, Eastern, and then, three and then many re-airs. re-airs all well, I, I heard from someone very high up in the company that they were, um, the, in quotes, stunned by... Uh, the ratings bump of our show, and it may Big not number. be it may not be the end of um, better time slots. We did a huge number last huge. week, um, and then uh, if you are an overseas listener, I believe you can access that uh, with your Game Pass International uh, login. And uh, then we will be back, of course, Sunday night for the flagship show, breaking down all the action. And, and Mark, that game, the Browns game, I already checked the schedule. Sunday, the early game, so that will give good or bad. You'll have plenty of time to kind of process it uh, before the show begins because that was quite a challenge. One I thought you handled very well on Sunday night coming on directly after that game uh, against the Steelers. This time you're going to have some process time. Well, it's easier to, to, to handle, a, I guess, a tough assignment about talking about football when the team wins. But um, we'll see. I think, you know, like you mentioned, a little house money vibe to it. I'm willing to accept whatever mm. happens this weekend in a different way than I would have um, – Couple days Against ago, the Steelers. Yeah, shout out um, and happy birthday, by the way, to my son Walker. Sixth Ooh, birthday today. Right. How about that? Funniest guy I know. The biggest, <laughs> the biggest football fan I know now. He's he's addicted. He was just making lists before last weekend of which games he was most excited about, which teams he hated the most. Just a lot of rankings, a lot of lists. I mean, it's perfect. This is like a Jack and Joe Buck scenario here. I can feel it. He's going <laughs> to seamlessly slip right in there for Greg when Greg decides to well, hang up the cleats. He, he thinks he's going to be a player, but uh, I haven't well, had we the heart to tell. I haven't had the heart to tell him there are not many like five, five, one hundred and forty <laughs> pound tell. players. Let him find that out on his own time. Happy birthday uh, to the boy who will be king in the Rosenthal, the Rosenthal home. All right, that's it. This is Dan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm. The old boss, Ricky Hollywood, behind the virtual glass. Until Thursday.
you go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital, rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.